Good morning. I invite you to take your Bibles and to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. I'll be reading verses 4 through 10 this morning. And as Caleb said, I'll be closing out our series on our new mission statement, looking at that last clause. And just by way of reminder, I'll read it for us. You'll find it in the back of your bulletin as well. But here's what the session has decided is... Um, sums up the the mission of Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church. That is that Pear Orchard Presbyterian Church exists to pursue transformation by truth and grace together for the glory of Christ, faithfully communicating all of God's inerrant word, gathering in the lost, and equipping the saints for active participation in ministry. Today we're going to look at that last clause, equipping the saints for active participation in ministry. But before we do that, I'd ask you to give your attention to the reading of God's word found in 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 4, running to verse 10. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in me will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This ends God's word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful. What can we say at the message that once we were not your people, but now we are? Once we had not received mercy, but now we have. We have fully and finally in Christ. Lord, I pray that by your mercy that you would send your spirit to open our eyes to your word this morning. Father, may we see the riches and promises held within Lord, would you open our hearts that as we receive your word that we would then be invigorated by the Spirit to go and live by it, to live for it, to live for you. And I ask this in Christ's name. Amen. When I was around nine or ten years old, I came across a story, a battle, and a certain people group involved in this battle that was almost too fantastic to believe. A group of warriors, sometimes numbered as small as 300, standing against a force numbered as large as over a million. So, soldiers so well-trained, so diligent and devoted, that it took treachery for them to fall against the forces of evil. And while the true story of the Battle of Thermopylae may not be quite as it is portrayed in movies and remembered in history, There is one thing we know for sure, and that is that these Spartans were some really bad dudes. Spartans were the pinnacle of a warrior. 
They were raised from birth to be nothing but a warrior. Right? They were punished not for doing bad, but for doing bad and getting caught. They were sent out to live by themselves. They were trained to withstand all the forces that heaven and earth could throw against them. These guys were all the special forces. Right? Every member of the Spartan army was a Green Beret, was a Navy SEAL. And, it, and according to legend, according to Plutarch, one of the Greek biographers, one Spartan king named Agesilaus was showing another king around his city, around Sparta, and proclaiming to him the strength of the Spartan walls, the walls that guarded Sparta. And the king turned to Agesilaus and said, where are these walls? I don't see what you're talking about. And Agesilaus turned to each one of his soldiers armed with a spear and a sword. There's a brick, there's a brick, there's a brick. The walls of Sparta were made up of these soldiers, made up of the people of Sparta themselves. See, it was the people of Sparta which made the defense of this city. And in much the same way, the greatest building project in history also uses living stones as its materials. Except in this building project, it's not well-trained warriors building a wall, but rather it's a god building a temple using sinners to hold it together. See, it's a temple, and the materials used are you and me, broken people restored by God. And God's quest for this temple begins all the way back in creation. And we, even, we see in Exodus 19 that the reason he saved his people was to continue this building project, was to build up a priesthood that would serve him in this temple. Exodus 19.6 says this, this is Moses talking, or this is God talking to Moses about Israel. You shall be my treasured possession among all the peoples, for all the earth is mine. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. For all time, God has been building a temple, and he has been creating, anointing, equipping a priesthood to serve him in that temple. And in the past 50 years or so, worship, the act of coming to church has been becomes something of an exhibition. People come to the pews to watch performers sing. They come to the pews to watch someone preach. And yet, it has long been considered something which we all participate in. Worship, even in the word liturgy, right? The work of the people, the laity, the liturgos, the work of the people. The worship is something that you do not something that you come to behold. What I want to do today is work through what that means, that worship is the work of the people. Or is it summed up in our mission statement that it is equipping the saints for active participation in ministry? And I want to ask three questions as we look at this last clause of our mission statement. That is, first, what is happening Then we're going to ask, to whom is it happening? And lastly, for what purpose is it happening? 
So to whom, or what is happening, to whom is it happening, and for what purpose is it happening? So that first question, what is happening? And we can say very, quip, very simply that it is equipping. Pear Orchard exists to equip the saints, to make them ready. Or as our First Peter passage says, that we are being built up as a spiritual house. We're being built up. We are being trained, being built up. See, the church of God and Pear Orchard as one of those little C churches in the big C church of God exists to equip, to build up the people of God. John Calvin notes the irony, even the weakness, the foolishness in such a task. He says, God, who could in a moment perfect his own, nevertheless desires them to grow up into manhood solely under the education of the church. That God, the one who called light out of darkness and can do anything by the word of his power, chooses redeemed sinners to train and equip redeemed sinners. Right? The God who can bring all things under his power has chosen the church to train and equip sinners. And the Bible takes this image of equipping in a number of different metaphors. Right? We can see the bride of Christ, the bride of Christ being purified, being made white, being made clean, Paul talks about the body of Christ, right, being joined together, being built up. Another one being the people of God. Right? We see that one in our passage this morning. The people of God growing up into full maturity of the faith. And each one of them gives a different flavor of the task at hand in the church. It is to sanctify. It is to join people together. It is to bring them to full maturity. But all of them, while showing different flavors of the same task, communicate one truth. That is, the church, Pear Orchard, First Pres, Madison Heights, the church is the place where God perfects his people. The church is the place where God perfects his people. Again, Calvin noting the the power and strength of the church says, so powerful is participation in the church that it keeps us in the society of God. So powerful is the participation in the church that it keeps us in the society of God. See, the church is the place where God's people are built up together into one spiritual building one full and final dwelling place for God. And yet, this building has no mean builder. It is not Moses building, it is not Caleb building the church, it is not David Strain or Ligon Duncan building the church. The builder of this house, as Hebrews 6 tells us, is Christ himself. He is both the cornerstone and the architect And as the master builder of this house, of this spiritual building, he has given the church gifts, right? As we just read in Ephesians 4, he has given the church gifts. 
And as we saw, the, the form of these gifts is not a lot of money. It's not a lot of power. It's not the ability to win friends and influence people. But the gifts that Jesus gives to the church are people. People called to be subcontractors in this great building project. And Paul gives us a list. He says there's apostles, there's prophets, there's evangelists, there's shepherds and teachers. All of these people God has given as gifts to the church. Christ gives and equips the shepherds and the teachers. He equips the session of Pear Orchard. He gives you Caleb. He gives you Carl. He gives you Dean with the one purpose of building you up into maturity. We are not given, Caleb is not given, the pastors are not given, the elders are not given to be the executives of a company. They're not given as a board to run a, a nonprofit organization, but they are given to be laborers in Christ's vineyard, building and training up his people. See, Christ gives the church in order to be an incubator for his people, and he gives the elders, the teachers, the pastors to the church to help them with that task. And we as teachers, session, pastors, we need to remember that noble task. We did not sign up for this to look good. Right? We did not sign up for this as a social symbol. And we were reminded of this at our session retreat yesterday, of our great and noble task of shepherding God's people, of growing God's people. Because one day Christ will stand me before his throne. He will stand Caleb and Carl and all the session of Pear He will stand us before his throne and ask, did you equip my people? And that should give us some trembling, elders, brothers, of what we are called to do. But people, I hope that encourages you and shows you that what we do here is not for our own benefit. They don't do this because they have all the spare time in the world and are just looking for something to do. But they love you. And they want to see you brought up into maturity. They want to see you bright, white, and dazzling as a bride on that final day standing before Christ. That's what's happening. Equipping, sanctifying, building you up here at Pear Orchard. But then we should ask, to whom is it happening? To whom is this equipping happening? And in our mission statement, it is put very simply, saints. It is the saints of God who are being equipped. Or as Peter will tell us, it is the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation, the people for God's own possession. And one of the greatest TV shows the last 20 years, and I'll fight anyone who says otherwise, was Friday Night Lights. 
high school football, great acting, motivating, motivational speakers. It's just incredible. And if you've seen it, you know just how awesome Coach Taylor is, right? So you're nodding your heads. Coach Taylor is the man. I wish I could hire him to be my own personal coach. But one of his great skills as a coach, and there are many, but one of Coach Taylor's great skills is his ability to constantly remind his players who they are. Not so much who they are individually, though he does that, but who they are corporately, who they are together as the Dillon Panthers. And the one thing that he often uses, and you'll, you'll be able to say it with me if you've seen the show, the, there's a mantra that his players always say before games, after practices, when things are looking hard, there's this mantra that they come back to, clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Right? And he uses this mantra to recenter his players around who they are. They're Dylan Panthers. By that mantra, it brought them back to what they were doing and who they were. And we as Christians need to be reminded day in, day out of who we are. You have to be reminded day in and day out of who you are. See, our Christian life can become just another aspect of who we are. I'm a Christian the same way that I'm an accountant, in the same way that I go to the dentist six, two times a year. I'm a Christian the same way that I you know, walk my dog every morning. Instead of our Christian life being the controlling aspect of who we are, and it's when things become stale, when they become stagnant, when the Christian life seems so humdrum and the same, that we must be reminded. And Peter, in our passage this morning, gives us one of the most powerful and concentrated statements on who we are. Again, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. Again, it's summed up saints in our mission statement. And while we've learned that we know in our hearts that saints aren't the extra special people who do a lot of good, right, it's easy to fall into that line of thinking that the saints are only the people who have a lot of brownie points stored up in heaven. Right? They're the Mother Teresas. Right? They're the Pope, the Pope John Paul II's. They're Francis of Assisi. I mean, they, he says, they say, talk to animals, for goodness sakes. How, how can anyone compete with that? And yet, we must remember that saints is talking about you and me. It's talking about all of us. Each of you who have been washed by the blood of Jesus and brought to life by the Holy Spirit are the saints of God. There's no question of when you'll become a saint of God. There's no doubt that you'll be a saint of God. If you believe in Christ, you are a saint of God. And you have been chosen before the foundations of the world. You are a royal priest, sanctified, anointed to come 
and be before the presence of God. You are, in the most startling and beautiful of terms, a people for God's own possession. You are God's. Apostrophe S, not S. You are the people of God. As you wonder what your role is here in this church, as you go from day to day wondering what this Christian life is all about, it is key to remember this identity, that you are his in every sense of the word. And because you are his, he has made you to be a part of a royal priesthood. And that is who you are. Far more than being a businessman or a doctor or an engineer, whatever it may be, the defining point of your identity is that you are God's saints. You are his saints. And as saints, we've been made priests in the new covenant. And yet as a part of this new priesthood, as a part of God's people, formed by himself, for himself, you have a part to play. You have a part to play. You have a task assigned. See, the God, see God gives the church as a sort of holy incubator for his people to equip the saints. Right? He gives the church to equip you for a very particular purpose. And so we come to our last question this morning. What is the purpose of this equipping? As it says in our mission statement, it is for active participation in ministry. Or again, as 1 Peter tells us, it is to offer spiritual sacrifices. Or going to the last half of verse 9, that you may proclaim, that you, the saints, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That you may offer spiritual sacrifices, that you may proclaim the excellencies. See, Old Testament priests did things, and now New Testament priests, all of us do things. And while we can't make a strict one-to-one comparison, right, none of us are out there killing our goats or our bulls, offering sacrifices to God. We are all called to serve and sacrifice for him. See, we are not the priests. Caleb, Carl, Dean, myself, we are not the priests. We are shepherds called to shepherd the priests. Christ is the one high priest, and each of you are priests under Christ. And each of you are called to offer spiritual sacrifices. Each of you are called to be engaged in the work of proclaiming his excellencies. You, Christian, do not come to the pews Sunday after Sunday, Wednesday after Wednesday, to punch your ticket and say you came. You don't come as a spectator. You are not to come as to find something that makes you feel good, right? to get your spiritual Xanax in for the week. No, you are a part of this body to be trained up, 
to proclaim the work of God in Christ. See, one of the controlling ideas of Martin Luther and his, that would bleed out into the rest of the Reformation was the idea known as the priesthood of all believers. And it's, while it's often cited as a proof for personal biblical interpretation, so I read my Bible your way and no one else can tell me that I'm doing it wrong, this is often, this is, not often, this is the wrong application. What Luther and the Reformers meant was not an interpretation untethered from any sort of authority or aid. But Luther was talking about the fact that each one of us, whether vocationally or simply as a part of your vocation, each of us are now called to the work of ministry. As New Testament scholar Karen Jobes says that the reason for existence of God's chosen race his holy nation, is to constitute a special people to make known what God has done. The reason this church exists, the reason that you are a part of it, the reason that you're here today is to make known what God has done, displaying his power, grace, and mercy. To each one of you, whether old or young, whether upper class, middle class, or lower class, whether married or single, whether unemployed or employed, all of you have been conscripted, signed up for this special work of ministry, giving your life as a fragrant offering to the glory of God, that his power, grace, and mercy might be known the world over. That's what you've been signed up for. And guess what? Just like the people of Israel, just like the Levites, you don't get an option. That is the work that we are to do. But don't be afraid, right? God has given each of you gifts. Just a little later in this same letter, people, Peter will show us that each one of our gifts has a very particular purpose. Right? While all of us are gifted in different ways, they are all for one purpose. He says, as each has received a gift, use it to serve one another. Listen to this, as good stewards of God's varied grace. Good stewards of God's varied grace. The gifts that you have, God gave you to give his grace to others whether it be hospitality or service or teaching, whatever it might be, God gave you that gift to show his varied grace, to show the same grace that God showed you. In the business world, to show you that I'm attuned to things other than the church, there's a, there's a principle, a rule called the Pareto Principle, some of you might know it as the 80-20 principle. And basically it is that 80% of results are due to 20% of resources. Well, when applied to the church, 80% of all the things that get done in a church are due to 20% of the people involved with the church. So if Pear Orchard has a little over 900 people in it, we would say that 
80% of what Pear Orchard does as a church is done by 180 people involved. Now, Pear Orchard, it's a marvelous church. That, that number may be a little higher. Perhaps it's 60% of the things are done by 40% of the resources. A lot of y'all are involved in what we do here as a church, and you should be commended for that. But our numbers could always be higher. Not our strict numbers of how many attend, but the people who engage. Right? Our goal is not to have that 80-20 or the 60-40, but to have 100% active engagement of the saints. And if you, if you remember, when I was in high school, there was a movie called Limitless that came out. Really cheesy movie. But the principle of they created this pill right, that for a certain amount of time, while your brain was only using 10% in a given, a given day, if you took this pill, you were suddenly using 100% of your brain. And in this movie, he, like, becomes a billionaire, he solves cancer, I can't, can't quite remember, right, but he is able to do so much because his brain is engaged at full capacity. And the question before us is, for all the things that Peer Orchard does so well, for all the ways that it works for the kingdom of God. Can you imagine what Perilter could do if there was 100% participation by the saints? If every one of us joined hands and said, we will be a part of this ministry. But the thing that often holds us back, and I'm, it is in my own heart, and I'm sure it is in many of yours as well, when it comes to Sunday morning or a church event, whether it be Sunbeams Night Out or you know, men's Bible study, whatever it may be, the first question we often ask is, what am I going to get out of it? And if that's the first question that comes to your head, you're asking the wrong question. See, as good stewards of God's very grace, your first question should be, how can I be of service? What can I give to someone else? Not what, I, what can I get out of this, but what can I give? And over the past months, we've been putting together just such a, something for you to know where you can give, right? Our new Pear Orchard Ministry Opportunity Sheet is out there in the hall. It's the second block on our website for those who don't like paper, right? And, and on it, you'll find over... 20 ministries with just listed over a hundred different opportunities for you. Now, I know you look at this and it's scary. It's almost like trying to choose a movie on Netflix, right? There's just too many things. How, where do you even make a choice? But let me just tell you, let me encourage you, right, to just pick something. Just pick one of them. Throw a dart, right? Blindly put your finger down. Choose something and commit to it. Don't fear messing up. That's bound to happen. Right? Don't fear making a fool of yourself. Right? That's bound to happen. I do it every Wednesday night and Sunday night. Because God does not want Spartans. God isn't hoping that the elite come to his church. No, God wants sinners washed by the blood of Christ and now called saints to do the work of ministry. Let me end with this. If you are 
a husband or a father here, this starts with you. The Christian duty of active participation in ministry starts with you. Just as the pastors and the elders are tasked with seeing God's people to maturity, you, as a husband, as a father, are tasked with seeing your family through to the end. I know life is busy and I know things pop up, whether work or jobs or the yard always needs cut. But there is nothing better that you can do as a husband, as a father, than showing your family that the church, God's holy, spotless bride, is worth committing to. That being involved in the ministry of the church is part of what it means to being a Christian. If there's anything you teach your children, if there's anything you encourage your wife to do, it's to serve the local church. But let each of us strive to be good stewards of God's very grace. Because here in the local church, we find that we are kept in the society of God. Let's pray. Great and heavenly Father, we praise you for your wisdom, Lord, to use what is weak and foolish in the world to shame the wise. Lord, that you use broken men, Lord, broken people to do your work. Father, I pray that as we go out this morning that each of us would be renewed to our sense of service for you, renewed to our sense of living for you, Lord, as stewards of God's very grace, offering spiritual sacrifices, laboring in your church. Father, would you uh, open up doors for ministry May you give people places to settle in and commit to serving you. Father, I ask all of this in Christ's name. Amen.